Let's pray together. A good man brings good things out of the good store up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Heavenly Father, I pray that our ears and the way we listen and the way that we speak and the way that we conduct ourselves and our actions, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Savior. I pray, God, you transform us. Continue to sanctify us by the work of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the cross. Then we transform more and more, little by little, each and every single day, more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray now, God, as you transition to the message, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts for those who will be listening here today, Lord, may it be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We love you, we thank you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. All right. God bless you all. Uh, let's take our seat at this time. And let's get in with today's message this very morning. I'm going to be taking a little break from our Authentic Christian Christianity series. For today is Reformation Day. And the title of today's message is called The Message of Grace. The Message of Grace, Reformation Day. So today, I want to talk to you about the true gospel. And living and being godly in the midst of corruptions, compromises, and oppositions. Again, I want to talk to you today about the true gospel and as a Christian, about living a godly life in the midst of corruptions, compromises, and oppositions. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, Happy? Happy. Hello, just kidding. Happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day. Is it Holy Win? Okay, Happy Holy Win Day. Happy Reformation Day. If you're VBS students, it'd be Holy Win Day. Happy Reformation Day. Now, before the Reformation, before change began in the Catholic Church in history, the universal Catholic Church, we all understand from history that it was filled with many different corruptions. Therefore, there were many people within the Catholic Church who were frustrated and they were filled with righteous anger. And this one individual by the name of Martin Luther, I'm not talking about Martin Luther King Jr. during the Civil Rights Movement. I'm talking about a different Martin Luther from Germany. And because of his rebellious, quote-unquote, rebellious act, this monk, this scholar, this priest, he shook the world by pinning 95 theses to the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, and that was his home city town, on October 31st, 1517, which is the same day today. 95 theses, what that is, is, is reformed writings confronting the corruptions of the Catholic Church. He wanted to confront the corruption within the church. And he wanted to bring back sound biblical doctrine back to the church. To get away from the corruptions within the Catholic Church and back to the true gospel that is found in the Bible, in the Word of God. 
And within the Reformation day, within Reformation, we understand there are five solas. Number one is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Sola gratia, number two, salvation by grace alone. Sola fide, salvation by faith alone. Solus Christus, which is another word, a solo Christo, which means in and through Christ alone. And soli del gloria, to and from the glory of God alone. So what it's saying is scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to and for the glory of God alone. In the Catholic Church, they are running away from the truth of the gospel. They are wavering and going in a completely opposite, in a corrupted direction. Before the church, it was reformed. We understand that it was very corrupt. It was filled with pride. The Catholic Church, they were prideful. And they were blind in their pride. And they were proud in their corruption. And they were also very worldly. So for example, what they would do is, the Catholic Church, they sow salvation through people and to people and having them to buy and to purchase their salvation, right? For example, if you have a loved one, let's say a family member who dies, they believe in the purgatory. And purgatory, if you know, is a place, it's a condition, it's a temporal punishment that when you die, for those who they depart this earthly life, they go to this temporal place, not entirely from their venial faults or have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgression. So what purgatory is? You go there and you are punished for a little bit. You pay your dues. And then from there, you get to go to heaven. And the way that you get to go to heaven is if your loved ones pay money to the Catholic Church. So for example, if Dan... God forbid he passes away, Arlene, Dan's soul is in purgatory, you will go ahead and pay the church an extra amount of money, XX amount of money, and then for Dan's soul to go to heaven, and you will pay that, and they actually taught these kind of corrupted teachings. So they were teaching that if you pay more money to the Catholic church, then the souls of your loved ones will spend less time in purgatory and will go to heaven. Hence, which means you can sin and do whatever you want in this life. As long as you have money, you give money to the church, your loved ones, and you pay money for the soul after that individual's death, that person will go to heaven, and that is against the truth of the gospel. And that's how corrupted the Catholic church was. It was so salvation, by buying salvation, having to pay for the salvation. It was a salvation sold through indulgences. And purgatory is one example. And to simplify, purgatory is a place where the soul goes after death to be cleansed of sin. And we understand that that is against the Bible, and there is no mention of purgatory in the Scripture. And the Bible is very clear where it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 
As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. And if you skip to verse 5, Ephesians 2, 5, it says, Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Let us turn to our neighbor and say, it is by grace, grace. you are saved. saved. Not by giving money, tithing to the church, to the Catholic church. For that is not a way to be saved. Only it is by grace we are saved by the grace of God. And if we go on, we go further in verse 8 to 9, Ephesians 2, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When you have a corrupted culture within the church, where everything you can buy and purchase salvation, just imagine how much power you give to the Pope. Just imagine how much power and corruption that the church has. But salvation cannot be bought. Salvation, we understand is a free gift from God. And Reformation Day reminds us of that. The message of his grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the greatest gift that we will ever receive. It is free, and it is by grace alone. And it is his precious and priceless and costly gift. The Pope does not hold the keys to the kingdom of God. The Catholic Church does not have the keys to salvation. The church would say, if you are not with the Catholic Church, and if you disagree with us even a little bit, you are screwed. Nope. I'm not screwed. Because my salvation cannot be bought. You cannot buy my salvation. It cannot be compromised. It cannot be corrupted. My salvation comes from God alone, through Jesus Christ, my Lord, my King, my Lord, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Only Christ, only Jesus Christ holds the key to our salvation. As Deep Roots Church, only Jesus Christ holds the key of your salvation. Amen? Only Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, to and from the glory of God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says, When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and that he forgave us all our sins. And that word circumcision, uncircumcision, I want you to be able to understand it. I'm going to read one more time. When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us all our sins. 1 John 2.2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, which means because he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins, he paid the ultimate price. Therefore, we don't need to give anymore. We don't need to give money to the church or the Pope in order for us to attain salvation. We have it free through the working of the cross, of the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And not only for ours, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. Regardless of your skin, your background, how much money you have in your bank account, it's for the whole world. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Catholics should do penance, meaning repentance, for setting the stage for the division. It was not out of the blue that Luther, which we just talked about in 1517, October 31st, Luther's protest happened. The society, the church, the way things were being done at that time called for reform. Reform means change. And there are very few courts of appeal where that reform could begin. So when October 31st comes around, don't think Halloween. Think about the Reformation, the reform, the faith that we have as Christians, as men and women of God. Once it was corrupted, but now we are changing more and transforming more into the image, into the conviction of the godly convictions that comes from the Word of God. Amen? So today, happy Reformation Day, the message of grace. Now, Martin Luther was cool. He was OG, original gangster. But now I want to talk to you about the original, original, original OG, which is the Apostle Paul. So today, let's talk about the original reformer, Apostle Paul himself, and it's found today in our scripture in Galatians chapter 2. How the Apostle Paul handled corrupted leaders within the church, false Christians and false and fake leaders. The title says, Paul Accepted by the Apostles. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. So just to keep in mind who these people are, Barnabas was the one that stood by Paul, he gave credit to Paul to introduce Paul to the rest of the apostles. So Barnabas was his first and original partner in crime, who did missionary work together with Paul. Titus, imagine, when I think of Titus, I think of Pastor Hans in Life Reach. Titus was not of a Jewish descent. He was a Gentile. And he was not circumcised physically, for he's not a Jew. For a Jew, you have to be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you are known as unclean. That's why in the Old Testament, if you are born as a Jewish man, you have to be circumcised. But now in Christ, Titus, he doesn't have to be physically circumcised, for that is the old covenant, that is the old way. And Titus is mentioned here, I took Titus along also. Keep in mind, he is a Gentile, a faithful individual. Verse 2, I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those quote-unquote esteemed. This is a hint of sarcasm here as leaders. There are a lot of people who see themselves and who introduce themselves as, hello, my name is Dr. Da, 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 when they could just say their names. 
My name is Reverend. So Paul, he's being sarcastic here, saying, meeting privately. Again, it's important to confront. Meeting privately with those, quote-unquote, esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, because that was Paul's calling, to reach people like Titus, to reach those who are not of a Jewish descent among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Verse 6, As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Again, he's talking about those leaders who are held in high esteem but they add nothing to the message of the gospel. Paul says, your title means nothing. If your theology and if the message that you're preaching is not in line with the word of God, you are just a puppet. You are nothing. Verse 7, on the contrary, they recognize that I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 9, James, Cephas, and John. Cephas is Peter, by the way, so don't get that confused. James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I have been eager to do all along. Verse 11, the title says, Paul opposes Cephas. Cephas, again, is Peter. Verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined them in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Verse 15, We who are Jews by birth, and not sinful Gentiles. 
know that a person, and this is important, is not justified by the works of the law, for example, circumcision, but by what? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? But by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? We all know this because we memorize this for missions. Galatians 2.20. It ends with this, verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died. For nothing. Amen. Amen. What happened here? These false Christians, esteemed leaders, false leaders, Paul here is talking about the Judaizers. They're the leaders, the Jewish leaders, Christian Jewish leaders who pretended to be genuine Christians. Here in Galatians 2, Paul makes it clear that they lived as undercover agents to the devil and would twist the word of God, would corrupt the gospel by telling people that the way to salvation, specifically to the Gentiles, which means non-Jews, that you have to follow the Jewish laws and customs, specifically here, being circumcised. If you're not circumcised, that you do not have the right of salvation. Who are they to declare who has salvation and who does not? When it is very clear that it is Christ that gives the salvation. If we are saved by works and works alone, then it says Christ died for nothing, it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. We don't trust in the law. We don't gain salvation through the law. We don't put aside the grace of God. We trust in the grace of God. We trust in Jesus Christ. For that is the reason why he died. So that we can have life and life to the full. These Judaizers, these undercover agents, they live for Satan. And they twisted the word of God. They corrupted the gospel by telling them, Listen, you need to be circumcised. If not, look, you're, you're not saved. You have to follow the old ways, the Jewish laws and customs. If not, you're not saved. And that's the kind of teaching that they would teach, just like back in the day in the Catholic Church. You want your loved ones, your sibling, your mother, your child to go to heaven? Give a little more to the treasury to the church, trust in the church, trust in the teachings of the Catholic Church, trust, trust not God, 
but the institution. They were saying faith in Jesus is not enough. Salvation by grace alone through faith is not enough, they would say. Circumcision would be proof to prove your salvation. I guess it's like the vaccine passport. If you don't have it, then you're not a good person or to prove you're a good person. I don't know. But we understand very clearly through the word of God that salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone. And Paul here, he had to be strong. He had to confront Peter. He had to confront these leaders, meeting them privately. And then he had to meet with Peter publicly. It says he confronted them, confronted Peter in front of everyone because he was supposed to hold a high standard. But here, Peter was compromising. It's like lunch table in high school. Oh, you sit with that person, you're going to be known. And Peter would avoid the Gentiles and sit with the Jews. Paul's like, what is going on here? This isn't the true gospel. What are you guys doing? And we learn in Romans chapter 4, verse 9 through 16. It is not the law and the works that we do that saves us. It is not the sweeping that you do, Angela, before service that saves you. It is not the food that we prepare. It is not the songs that we sing that saves us. It is not the works that we do that saves us. But it is by faith alone, by grace that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul, again, is, is also the author of Romans chapter 4. And he says this, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. In order that righteousness might be credited to them, and he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law. Again, I'll say it again. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But through what? The righteousness that comes by faith. Righteousness that comes by faith. Amen. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, it's talking about the Jews, faith means nothing. And the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. Faith, 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 faith. So that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. 
not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Amen. And these Judaizers were saying, salvation is condition-based. You're only truly saved only if you are circumcised. And that could translate to a lot of things. Only if you do this. Only if you do that. Only if you come to morning prayer. Only if you do this. You give money to the church. Nope. It is through Christ and Christ alone. The original, the original, original reformer. The starter of it all. Apostle Paul. So the question, how do we bring about the true gospel within the church? How do we bring about godliness within the church? How do we bring about godly teachings within the church? And with these questions, we will learn today from Apostle Paul in reference to Galatians chapter 2. Let us learn the triple C's. C, C, C. Those of you who are MMA fans, no, I'm not talking about Henry Cejudo, <laughs> triple champ. I think because he has a gold in Olympic wrestling, uh, gold in two-weight division, so he calls himself the triple champ, CCC. Let us learn about the triple C's. Let's start with the first C, number one, communicating. Communicating in a godly manner is necessary. Communicating in a godly manner is necessary. Again, we're answering the question. How do we bring about the true gospel within the church? How do we bring about godliness within the church? How do we bring about godly teachings within the church? Number one, communicating in a godly manner is necessary. Let's look at verse 2 and 5. Verse 2 through 5, it says, I went in response to a revelation, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was now running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter rose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And again, we understand that this was a serious matter. And I say it is necessary, not if it is necessary. Paul had no choice to communicate with these individuals. He had to communicate to these people. Verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Why are they doing this? It's for the sake of the gospel. And there are only two people who are standing right here in Galatians chapter 2. It is Paul and who? Titus. Because even Barnabas, his original partner, straight away, Peter, James, 
John, they were straying away. But Paul and Titus, this young Greek individual, only those two were standing strong. So the question, how should we as a church communicate in a godly manner? And I said it before, communication is key. Because communication helps everyone understand what's happening. It will help destroy rumors, gossips, divisions. It's going to unite the body, the body of the church. So again, so point A, you communicate privately, at times openly. But you try to communicate privately, respectfully. And you do it with accountability. So here we see in verse 2 that Paul communicated privately to these individuals. So point B, communicate clearly. You must pray and know what you're going to say in wisdom. You need to have a goal and you need to have focus, a focus of what you are going to say. So you communicate clearly as Paul said. I wanted to be sure that you guys know that I'm preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted you guys to know, I wanted to be sure that I am not running this race in vain. And he gives examples. Even Titus, who was with me, he's compelled to be circumcised. He's not even a Jew. He's a Greek. Communicate clearly. Let us see. Communicate wisely. When I say wisely, not arguing. Men and women of God, don't argue. Don't argue. It brings about ungodliness. Even politicians, right? They do judo flips to each other in Asia. Communicate wisely. And lastly, letter D, communicate fearlessly. Do not be afraid of those who will disagree with you. Fearing of getting into arguments. Fearing that you will not be liked. Fear God, not men. For fearing people is a dangerous trap in whatever profession, wherever you are. This applies to your home. This applies to your workplace. This applies in your relationships with your friends, with your peers, with your coworkers. This applies everywhere in the church. Fear God and not men, as Paul did. So again, communicate privately, communicate clearly, communicate wisely, communicate fearlessly. Amen. Point two, confronting in a boldly manner is necessary. Confronting in a boldly manner is necessary. Another word we could use is opposing in a boldly manner is necessary. Confronting in a boldly manner is necessary. To confront in a godly manner, it means to confront hypocrisy. It means to confront lies. And why do you do this? For what? Why do you do this? And this isn't on the screen, this verse 5, but we do it for the gospel. We do it for the gospel. 
We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Your goal is to preserve the gospel, the truth of God. As it says in verse 5. Paul to Peter, he opposes Cephas, verse 11 to 16. When Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Who is Peter? He is the original 12 disciple. He lived and walked with Jesus. Others would be intimidated because he is one of the apostles, but not Paul. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The Jews, they're the circumcision group. Verse 13, the other Jews joined them in this hypocrisy, of course, because Peter's a leader. As a leader, you have to be very careful because you will influence others and in how they follow you in your actions. The other Jews joined them in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Amen. So, so point A here, oppose boldly. Oppose boldly. I mean, Apostle Paul here is very bold in opposing the hypocrisies in the church. Apostle Paul is very bold in not only opposing the Judaizers, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, but opposing Peter also, right? Face to face, calling him out calling it out in front of everybody, not through a text or email, but face to face of his hypocrisy. Peter, he tried to play safe by not having to choose sides. Be careful of those who do not choose sides, not wanting to offend the Jews, always in the middle. So when they would gather to eat, for example, males over there, females over here, little tiny table here for Dan Paraiko over here. And you eat with Dan, you're outcasted. Separation. Peter ate away from the Gentiles because he didn't want to offend James and the other Jewish leaders. So when they would gather, he would sit away from the Gentiles 
Peter avoided the Gentiles. And again, this reminds me of a high school cafeteria. By the way, I never understood that. I would always have underclassmen, so I'd be like, oh, we could be eight together. You know, junior, senior, sophomores would come by. But there's always separation by tables, by grades, by gender, by different things, and we separate things. And Paul here was not happy with Peter because this is the gospel. And Peter violated the very truth of the gospel, of the good news, and he compromised to not offend the fellow Jews. And he was promoting that Jesus Christ, his actions, Peter's action was promoting that the action of Jesus Christ was not sufficient for salvation. You want to be saved? Be circumcised. You want your loved ones to go to heaven? Give more money to the church. Then he will not spend long in purgatory. A false promise. Human-made promises. That is full of lies. And that will not. It will not stay. It is not sufficient. It is a lie made by people. And sometimes we compromise in order to bring about peace. I understand for the sake of peace, we can compromise here and there, more in a good way, but not with hypocrisy. We must not lie in bed with hypocrisy. Sell out and compromise the truth of God's word for worldly convictions because we feel bad and we want to be nice. We must never sell the truth of the gospel to match those who are not in the truth of God. And when we do, this is a very dangerous place to be before God. We are landing on a dangerous gambling ground before the living God. Peter, as a main leader in the church, he was behaving as a hypocrite, even though he knew better. And out of fear of offending people, he chose to follow the ways of those who are on the wrong side. Men and women of God, fearing people is a dangerous trap. Right, Ronnie? And then we were in the car, we were talking about making changes, and that takes courage for you to stand up for what is right in your workplaces and it takes true courage for a person to stand up for the right thing. For not everyone will follow. For everyone are like sheep, 99% of the time, people will be too afraid, just like the story of Pennsylvania in the train station. A woman was raped for about, and I'm sorry I'm getting the time wrong, seven to 17 minutes. She was literally being raped in public and people did nothing, and people were recording it. We must stand for the truth. And our hearts must ache. Do not fear people, but fear the Lord. And as Christians, we must be courageous in all that we do. It takes that one special percent of people, percentage of people who will stand up for the truth and here, Paul was the only one that was standing for the truth. 
in Galatians chapter 2. So in future missions, when you memorize Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, you understand the context of what's happening here. And it's important to bring discipline. Right? Proverbs 19.25, Flog a mocker and the simple will learn prudence. Rebuke the discerning and they will gain knowledge. And Paul opposed and confronted Peter face to face. Paul had no choice but to confront the super apostle where he knew what Peter was doing was wrong. And Peter, he was damaging the good news of God. He was dividing the body of Christ, the church. Amen. For the sake of the gospel, Paul had no choice but to confront. We don't confront because we think that God needs our help. But we confront because that's what we do as men and women of God. Our hearts ache for the things of God. Therefore, we act because the gospel is misrepresented. And therefore, we must stand for the truth for what is right. So again, A, oppose boldly. B, stand boldly. There's a quote that Captain America, he said, it says, when the mob and the press and the whole world tells you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree by the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. I believe that's taken from the comics, but in the movie, Agent Carter, the niece of Peggy Carter, she says this in her aunt's funeral, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree. Look them in their eye and say, no, you move. You move. Stand boldly for the truth, for the things of God, even if you're standing alone. Here we see an amazing story here, a scene of Peter versus Paul. It's like you see Captain America versus Iron Man. It's like the Civil War happening right here, like Superman versus Batman. Paul is opposing Peter. How dare Paul oppose Peter? But there comes a time where we must stand up for the truth and even be willing to have and to create enemies. And your enemies are those who oppose the truth of the gospel. Pastor A.W. Tozer, I have many of his books that I've read. And he says in his quote, I'd rather stand with God and have the world my enemy than to go along with the crowd to destruction. He also said this, you have enemies? Good. That means you have stood up for something sometime in your life. With scripture, you will have enemies. We agree with scripture, not with what people say from their lips. We must test it and see it and test that it's from God. If it's not, we must be bold and stand for the truth. You stand like a tree. We stand for the truth of the gospel. And don't be afraid to confront hypocrisy with boldness when you feel that the truth of God is being compromised. And there are a lot of people out in the world who will follow because it's the easy way. But don't be weird and 
you know, I heard a story in Seattle, one conference I went to, a pastor was sharing about his testimony that, that you will have oppositions. And um, he was talking about this one guy that came to church. He was a newcomer, and he would sit in the front, like, every day. And he would, like, oppose everything that the pastor was saying, that he was preaching. And then his testimony, what he said was, God brought me to this church to correct you, pastor. And then he would come, and then eventually God took him away. He went away from the church, but it's like, oh, okay, buddy. But again, we line it up with the word of God. Keep in mind, Paul is not just anybody, right? He is an apostle. So he's an apostle to an apostle. Paul is talking to Peter. So stand boldly. Lastly, letter C, walk boldly. When I say walk, I'm talking about act, action. You are defined by what you do in this life. Of course, it's the heart that matters, but who we are is revealed by what we do because it's from the overflow of the heart we be, we act, and we are. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good store up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil store up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Walk boldly. The Jews in this passage thought all Gentiles were second citizens, Christian citizens. They were not worthy of the true salvation if they were not circumcised, if they were not like us. Therefore, if the Gentiles wanted to be saved, they had no choice but to be circumcised for them to get to their level. It's like not a permanent but a temporary license. Did you guys used to have that? Do they still have that? When you're like age of 16, you can't drive with one, more than one. You need to have one person who is of the age or something, and then you don't, and you always break it anyway. But if, unless you get circumcised, you cannot get the full license. You will not get to our level. That's what the Jews were preaching. Salvation is condition-based. And Peter, by choosing to sigh and not say anything, and sometimes silence is betrayal, as it says Martin Luther King Jr., when he doesn't say anything, he's promoting this kind of gospel, this fake gospel, that he is agreeing with these false leaders that you are saved. Only if, only if you do X, Y, and Z. If you don't do this, then you're not that. Uh, this came to me right now, but I don't know if I should say it. I'm not trying to be political here with the vaccine and all that stuff. Just random thoughts are just coming through my mind. When the current president, sitting president, when he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. It's like, if you don't do this, then set by the most controversial, popular president in U.S. history. Right, Brother Enrico? The most popular, yes. I mean, how ridiculous, just how ridiculous does that sound? If you are not circumcised, you are not saved. The truth is, God came to save the Jews and the Gentiles alike. It came through Jesus Christ. And the promise is what we read in Romans chapter 4. The promise comes by faith, by grace alone.
Amen. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing less. This promise is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Last point, point number three. The last C is changing in a humble manner is necessary. You could change that word to transformation, transforming, growing, but changing. Changing for the better. Changing in a humble manner is necessary. And we can see from here that Peter, he accepted it. He was not proud. He's like, how dare you speak to me like that? He accepted it. He humbly accepted it and received this opposition and confrontation from his fellow brother, from his fellow apostle, Paul. Peter recognized and knew what Paul was saying was from God. And like Peter, may we, you and me, right now, may we listen well to godly leaders and individuals in humility and change our actions and our behaviors. Peter could easily said, uh, I'm the original super apostle. I walk with Jesus. Original 12. Who are you to oppose me? Paul. By humility. So point A, B, and C. Letter A is this. Ask God for humility to yield. Again, not to anyone. Not to those who are fake teachers, but to godly leaders, godly individuals. Ask God for humility to yield. Letter B, ask God for humility to listen. Letter C, ask God for humility to change. Our goal in this life is to be transformed and to change and to be sanctified in Christ. Never stop growing. Never stop changing. Never stop receiving discipline. Never stop receiving correction. Because Peter, he accepted the correction and the discipline, even though he was. There are three main leaders, right? There was Peter, it says it was James, and it was John. But Peter was, I guess, the main, main, main person. That's why Paul, he confronted Peter. More and more, little by little, baby steps each and every single day to be more like Christ. Just like when we go to the hospital, you don't stay the same in the condition that we came in. You would hope, right, Arlene, that your patient will leave better, right? If they come with no hand, that the hand will grow back, right? You would. No, but we want to be changed and transformed little by little each and every single day. And Peter is a good example of humility. Uh, Peter, again, when opposed and confronted by Paul, Peter in humility, he accepted it. He knew it was godly rebuke from God. Peter knew it was precious, precious grace from God. This was God's grace in his 
life. And I pray, and I pray, and I'm closing with this. I pray that we would have the humility to receive godly correction today, right now. I pray that we would have the humility to be transformed today, right now. So the question, and I always ask question because the question helps us answer and reflect with the question. And that's how God always spoke to his people. He didn't ask because he didn't know. And I'm not saying I know. But I'm just going with God's method and the way that he dealt with his people. Where are you? Not because he doesn't know, but it's for you to answer honestly before him right now. And the question that I want to ask you is who is correcting you in your life today? Who is in your inner circle today? Who is whispering into your ears today? Who are you speaking and listening to today? The Word of God? Godly counsel from godly individuals? Or your own emotions and your feelings and what the media says? Who are you listening to? Who are you speaking to? May you, godly men and women of God, surround yourself with godly men and women of God. So who is speaking into your life today? Who are you listening to? Godly men and women of God, walk with godly men and women of God. Godly men and women of God, walk in the truth of God's word. Change humbly, for it is necessary. Not change when it's necessary. It is necessary. And in closing, I would like for us to read together as a church. And Psalm 1 is a beautiful psalm because it challenges you. It reminds us of how we must live as men and women of God. Let's go ahead and read together. Ready? One, two, three. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Amen. I'm used to memorizing, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. This is the new translation. Or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. The company of mockers. Meaning whatever you do, whether you walk, you stand, and sit is what do you do? What do you do when you sit? You don't sit to move. Well, yeah, but you sit to 
like a train, yes, but you sit to talk. Company of mockers, those who mock and gossip. Stand in the way that the sinners take. Stand in the way of sinners. Don't stand with sinners. Don't follow in their path. Don't walk and stand with them. Don't walk and step with the wicked. For those who are not of God. Because you will become just like those individuals. Like character will draw in like characters. So again, going back to the title of the message, the message of grace, Reformation Day. Let us understand what this day represents. Let us understand that every day we are being reformed and sanctified and that we are being changed in the Word of God. We are being changed, but the Word of God does not change. The Word of God is the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. Nothing more, nothing less. Anything else is heresy and a lie from Satan himself. So I want to bless you today with the Word of God. Reminder, taking a nice little break today from Authentic Christianity Series. And also we have our picnic later, and there's a beautiful weather outside. And I pray that we'll be united in all that we do, that we'll be united in our fellowship, and as a church, that we will pursue Him with all that we have. Amen? Amen. So with that, I want to invite the priest team to come up. sing verse 2 of the Lord is working when we gather in this place God is with us here today let's go to verse 2 and then we'll do the chorus and then we'll do verse 2 chorus and continue you guys lead praise team and then let's do verse 1 again but the goal here is not to sound good and to do things perfectly but the goal here is again to surrender our heart to God and worship. Submit to Him as Paul submitted, as, Paul, as Peter submitted to God. Let us worship Him in spirit and in truth. So can we all stand to our feet and sing verse 2 when we gather in this place.
Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make, my, make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on their statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, your laws. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I hate and detest falsehood, but I love your law. Heavenly Father, thank you that in you, that we have more understanding than these esteemed leaders, these elders. For God, we obey your precepts, O Lord. You are a rock. And we remind ourselves today that this message is the message of your grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are our hope. Your precious grace, salvation by grace alone, for our salvation is not found in human man-made traditions, but to the cross. We are not first of any political party, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, progressives. We're not even first of all the United States of America. First and foremost, we belong to the kingdom of God. And as a church here, as Deep Roots Church in America, May we demonstrate and embody the reconciliation of the kingdom of God. That no matter what ethnic division that we may have here in this place, a body that is full of different colors, different backgrounds, and different genders, male or female, rich or poor, circumcised or uncircumcised, may we remember that we belong to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because we belong to the head. And you are that head, Lord, our Jesus Christ. May you be a church that represents the resurrected and the triumphant Lord Jesus Christ. For going back through history, we have survived everything from the rage of Nero, who beheaded and burned Christians at stakes persecuted Christians to the declaration of Barman, a declaration that went against the Nazi regime in history. For all throughout history, as we Christians have endured and have survived, may we not forget that you are the head, Lord, that you are the conscience of this world, the conviction of this world, for you are our pledge you are our everything. May our pledge of allegiance may not rest on any earthly flag, but may our pledge be to a much higher calling, to higher allegiance, which is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, I commit my heart to you. We commit our lives to you. We give you all the glory. 
and all the honor. May the name of the Lord be praised forevermore. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Can God's people pray? Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.